Hey, what's up, What's people? going on, y'all? It's Sunday. Happy Sunday, everybody. Salute. Salute, Mm-hmm. Dominique first in the room. Mm-hmm. As always, what's up, sis? How what you doing, baby? What's going on? I my alarm probably won't go off because it's not seven o'clock. That's so okay. How about that? I know, right? Only going off. Shut up. <laughs> I wish you would let's shut up. Leave me alone. <laughs> Mind your business. How's everybody feeling? Uh, uh, the weekend is over. As of today, today. I mean, sort of, I got it. And the guest of honor has joined the room. Hi. Our dear, you. dear friend George Johnson. Hey. 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 <laughs> Trying to make sure my framing is right. Give me one second. You got to see that beautiful face. You people are my favorite. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, that's good. You look great. We are blind. I was just listening to this. <laughs> See? <laughs> See? Jamming. We've been able to jamming. This is one of our personal. So, and you know this. Um, Erica Badu. Remade this right um, on her, on her live album, and when we first met, oh yeah, no no no, what's coming? What's coming? I was I was doing a dramatic like oh keep talking. Keep oh, uh, Erica Badu did a live version of this uh, on her live album back some years ago, mm-hmm. and when we first met, we both were listening to it, and so on our second date, he was bringing after our second date, which was our first overnight date, just to be clear, we he was bringing me to work the next morning and put it on in the car. And I was like, oh, this is my shit. <laughs> and so it has been, it and the original yeah. have become one of our, like one of our one song of songs. Yeah. So when you when we saw that on the list, we were like, damn it, George. <laughs> so welcome, welcome, welcome. welcome hey. Savage Chats author, activist, <laughs> bestseller. Come on now. We are just yeah. excited to have you, to welcome you here to the Savage Chats. We, I mean, since we started this, like, you were definitely one of the people we were like, we got to get George. We got to get George. I mean, you are on this journey right now that we are yeah. so proud of. And we are just grateful for your bravery and for your courage to share your testimony um, at three some odd years old to have put out a memoir. I mean... You know, this is, it's a, it's a moment and it's a movement because your story is one that has not been told before. Um, it is definitely a story that someone uh, like myself, a young black gay man, did not have to read uh, growing up. So you are for sure, for sure a savage for giving <laughs> this new generation a, right. a story that they can learn uh, from, new experiences that and, they can glean from. And in a lot of ways, and I think the word that I thought about was roadmap mm. in a lot of ways, right? Like this is a, it's a guide. Yeah. It's a, it's a testimony that it, that is your journey, but it also allows for those who are following behind you, and even and even some folks who are walking with you. Hello. At the same time, right? Yes. Um, Very true. To uh, the the uh, a way to see themselves. Um, 
go from whatever whatever it is they see their reality as now and a, and a future that may not have been in their ability for them to see before. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing that you've done. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's an extraordinarily beautiful thing that you've done. And yes, we are yes. grateful. I got to I, I shout, shout out Scotty Beam. Hello. Who we have not seen. <laughs> One say, Scotty. We hey, girl. Not, hey, girl. We have not seen you since we were at Mist in Harlem mm -hmm, for, the, salute for the Salute Her when they yeah. were honoring your mama. We would love to reconnect with you. Please follow us, and, and we're going to inbox you later. Yes. Shout out to Scotty B. But please, you want to ask George about... Uh, oh, right. Well, we want... I mean, so first, because, you know, Blair's jumping all through. We, we're in the middle of a whole pandemic, and there is all kinds of social unrest going on. I mean, if we actually started the Savage Chat as a way to kind of decompress a little bit and bring some joy into the into life into our life for sure but it's a just give it out to the world yeah um as a way of us to stay healthy and to stay sane but, but we'd love to know what are you doing throughout all of this right now to you know just kind of stay healthy to keep pushing forward and to, you know just keep your balance besides counting coins hello <laughs> right um i think for me primarily is writing writing has always been like a my tool to kind of mm. date in many ways um i was already an introvert in, in many ways so being inside isn't like it's something that comes natural to me anyway mm -hmm. um the pandemic though you know it was really really different but i work from home already so i think for me it was like okay i know at some point it's gonna affect me and it definitely has uh, affected my mental because even as a writer i would like to write in the park or write at cafes or mm -hmm. write in different places i, I would write with hari often mm -hmm. like like we would write together weekly uh multiple times a week so like not being able to have my writing partner not being able to um do any of that uh i had to lean heavily into my spirituality and so i set up an altar um in my apartment to my grandmother my grandfather um and a couple of my ancestors um i pray daily to it uh every sunday i sage um I do like little small things uh, to keep me grounded and to keep my um, my mental healthy. Uh, I practice vulnerability even more because I try to be the the strong friend or like you know. And because of visibility and representation, mm -hmm. the book has placed it on me that oh George is that person, right? And so yeah. it's like people place you on the pedestal and so mm -hmm. you can't stop them from doing that the best thing you can do is just protect yourself um, yes. and in many ways I had to open up and be more vulnerable to to that and more accepting of what my purpose was mm -hmm. um, I think doing that type of work is what's helped to keep me uh mentally healthy during uh the pandemic Ooh, Jesus! No, that was a that was a Child. word not only for you for us Child. everybody listening especially I don't know if people realize how healing vulnerability can be because it is such a it is such, it can be such a terrifying place to 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 visit right um because it opens you up to to so many to, to so many things right in when you're in that space yeah. but the, the 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 healing that can come for you for those around you, from anybody watching, from from a spectator, um, from the testimony, um, is extremely powerful. So, mm -hmm. 
thank you for the courage um, and strength yeah. that it takes to, to live in that space, not only for yourself, mm -hmm. but um, as you do healing work beyond your imagination. Yes, yes. I mean, and, and you know, speaking of that healing work, you know, you and I actually met almost 10 years ago kind of in, in a space where we were creating that healing. Um, us Helping Us, an organization located in DC, has a great program that brings together men of HIV experience who are, you know, just in need of that community. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what that experience was like for you and kind of what you uh, kind of gleaned from that? Yeah, um, I mean, I was diagnosed in 2010. And so, um, and I was living in Richmond, Virginia at the time. And so, you know, I went a while without having the education and resources, uh, anything. Um, and I was actually thinking about it earlier today, how I'll be 35 this year. And I just remember being diagnosed 10 years ago and I had, I didn't think I was gonna make it to 30. Mm. And so I started doing that, um, like death processing Mm. and what that would mean for me. And mm. I literally that same year I bought a house. Like I was like, well, you know what? I got to accomplish my goals as soon as I can. So let me start accomplishing them. So I started doing like just off the wall things like buy, bought a house, um, mm -hmm. just any and everything that I, I thought I needed to get done before mm -hmm. I was going to pass away from HIV, oh um, I started to do. And, you know, then it was, you know, I made it through the first year, then I made it through the second year, and then I made it through the third year. You know, I started to get a little bit more educated. I started treatment, mm -hmm. and then I realized, like, okay, like, I'm going to have a full life. Right. Um, yes. So mm. I need to get more invested in what this uh, virus actually is, mm -hmm. uh, because if I was processing it that way, I can't be the only one who was dying yeah. and went through that type of process, that type of trauma like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and so us helping us where we met Guy and uh, we, support group and mm -hmm. with, um, where that's where I met you was yeah. at the HIV support group. Um, I eventually took over the support group. <laughs> wow. And you started working there over. and then started testing people, started writing about the epidemic, testing people in bathhouses and like became an HIV activist. Yeah. Um, and just, I guess like an activist overall um, for LGBTQ people, um, mm -hmm. specifically black queer, um, male identified people. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's what really helped me gain like uh, I don't know, like the, the teeth that I needed to survive. Yeah. Um, you know, being Black, you already have everything thrown at you. And so, yeah. you know, the intersection of Blackness and queerness and HIV and like, I, you know, I've, I've just, I think the best way to say is like, I'm burdened with like so many statistics, right? Like mm -hmm. this statistic mm -hmm. says 50% of Black men who have sex with men are gonna have HIV. And this statistic says it and like, they all hit me, but I'm still here. Mm -hmm. And so I think to just be able to, for people to bear witness to the fact that in spite of how many times mm -hmm. society tries to kill us daily, that um, someone like myself continues to persist and continues yes. to work and continues to try and uh, help and save our community. Um, yeah, I think it's just a testament to the, to the Black queer experience. Yes. Did y'all hear those words, but I'm still here? Hello, I'm still but here. But I'm still here. And, I mean, and that was definitely yes. something that I also kind of took from that experience. I mean, it was, it was definitely something that I recognize now our community needs more than ever. And we need to find a way to replicate that everywhere. Because to your point, I mean, there are so many Black people of the queer experience who have no outlet, no resources. And I learned so much about um, stigma and criminalization of mm. um, Black queer people or people um, who, have the H who have HIV and just 
learning about how to manage your health and wealth and, uh, you know, sustain yourself to live a long, healthy life is definitely something that I took away from that experience. I mean, and like I said, this is definitely something that we are so grateful that you're continuing to pour resources because, hello, this is definitely something <laughs> that if more kids read in school, yeah. they likely not have to end up needing those resources as they become adults. But I mean, you know, that's a whole other word. So how does it feel to have, like, so now that you've written this, what, what, what is, is quickly becoming a timeless piece of work. Right, like, <laughs> like it just was released. It's already um, on its way. To on its way. New York Times, and stuff. you are knee deep in book edits mm -hmm. for the next thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about like what it means to be to go from the, the kind of the story you just told to now you're? I mean, you are a best-selling author. Good Morning America. You're on Good Morning America. Right. Yeah. Talk, talk to folks a little bit about what transition about the transition like. and and what you have next for folks. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because it's like you don't ever know when the shift is going to happen. The shift just kind of happens, and you just have to uh, be as best prepared as you can be for the shift. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, being an author and having a body of work in the world, um, it's extremely important. But I think initially, I was writing this story for who is here now. Mm. And I now realize that this story is for who's going to be here 70 years from now. Mm. And I, I think about that a lot, especially because I think about how we process James Baldwin, how we process Audre Lorde, how we process um, Marlon Riggs, how we process uh, Essex Hemphill. Yes, yes, yes. Right? yes. Um, and I think about like that's work that that lasted long after they were here that's still relevant to today. Yes. And and the processing of my book, you know, there are times where I reread things. Or there, and I'll say this: I think the biggest connection that let me know how this book was going to exist in the world was I had people in their seventies who were emailing me about wow. it, and that's when I knew that. The story definitely has always existed. It just, we just have never had the space to, to tell it. Mm -hmm. um, and there are, you know, the, the Black queer canon is long and it's deep. Yes. Uh, but it's also still pretty hidden. It's also mm -hmm. still uh, been robbed of the space that it should have because people have mm -hmm. literally separated those writers from their queer experience mm. in many ways. Um, you know, it's kind of like when we went through Black History Month, we were learning about James Baldwin, we were learning about these people, we never knew what their sexuality was. They separated right. that from them. And so right. because they separated that from them, they in turn took heroes away from us. Mm. And then took um, power away from a community who needed to, to, to feel seen and to feel represented just so they could know they could, that they existed, not so much for visibility and representation sake, right. but literally just so that we know that we actually exist in the black blackness in the black right. experience. Right. Um, and so I think right. that's the difference with me now is that I am so visible and I'm so vocal about who I am that there is literally no way you can separate my art from my being. Ooh, yeah. And I'm extremely, I guess, fortunate and excited like going forward to know that there is no way that my art can ever be separated from who I was as a person and what I am as a person in the way that they did our ancestors. Mm, that, is, that is so real. I mean, and it's so powerful, especially because your book is already being taught to students. Yes. I mean, what, is, what does that feel like to know <laughs> that 
you were like the goal, like, because one of the things that you said in your book was that it is, um, it's a gateway, right? Like you yeah. don't have all of the solutions because you are still kind of living this life yourself. I mean, like I said, at 33 or 34, I mean, to come out with a memoir is, yeah. that's it's early for some people. <laughs> what, I mean, what is yeah. that? What does that mean? What is what are some of the lessons that you want those kids uh, to take away from your story? Yeah, the biggest thing I want kids to take away from the story is the fact that like that somebody has been through the experiences that they're going through and to validate what they to validate who they are. Like mm. the biggest thing for me is I think kids who are experiencing queerness, they don't feel like their thoughts are are real or they don't feel like mm -hmm. they feel like their thoughts are like because we know what the norm is. The norm is heterosexuality. So anybody, any kid that exists outside of that norm is then treated as such. And they think right. like, well, are my thoughts wrong? Do other people mm -hmm. feel like Perverse. this? Like, yeah. Why am I feeling like this? Like, is there something going on? And so it's like, when I put my thoughts on paper into a book like that and kids read it, they're able to connect to themselves better and they're able to process better and they're able to realize like, okay, I am having these thoughts and these thoughts are valid. Um, right. mm -hmm. And in a society trying to tell me that I am not valid, but mm -hmm. it is George trying to reaffirm me that I am valid. And it mm -hmm. is George that is trying to let me know that this story is not just the story of them, but the story of so many others who came mm -hmm. before them and so many others who are coming after them. After them. And wow. so I think that's the biggest thing that I needed kids to kind of take away from this was mm -hmm. the fact that um, that the story is valid, the story is real, the story is true, that, you know, they're not the first generation to just manifest and have these feelings. Yeah. Um, even if people continue to tell them that, you know, that people don't exist like that. or yeah. you know, right. um, Because again, when the history is hidden from you, you then think you're the first to experience it. Yeah. Um, and just like me, I thought I was, you know, when I was, yeah. I'm like, well, I must be, something must be wrong with me because mm. I, I don't know anybody else that's having these type of, of things. But there were other people in my family that were queer. Yeah. So then I was like, well, maybe something wrong with my family because it's mm. multiple of us, but I don't see this with every other family. So right. how do I process that? Um, right. wow. So I think that's the biggest thing with the book being out there is now like, it's validity to your truth, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shout out to, I'm going to say shout out to Tits and Pops who have just joined the room. Speaking of family, my parents have just, just joined the room. Uh, <laughs> uh, something you said, and we want, I want to talk about, I want to double click on the, the family aspect because mm -hmm. I want you to show your, your new ink and I want you to, to, to tell the people about it. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that you said in, in what you were just talking about in answer to Bay's question, it made me think about something that I've seen online where it says that that we should all try to be the person we needed when we were younger. Right. And I see, that's what I see you doing for more people than, than you will ever know. Mm -hmm. Is being someone that we all could have used in the black queer experience yeah. to say these things to us um, mm -hmm. when we were younger. So right. thank you for that. Um, your family is extremely important to you. Mm -hmm. You're extremely, you were, you and your grandmother were extraordinarily close. Um, you just tr did it. You, one of the things I love about you, George, and, and we were talking about this as we were preparing, um, black women are so central to your life and so central to ours. Um, and so just talk about a talk a little bit about your 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 relationship with your grandmother and and the tribute that you recently made to her. 
Yeah. Um, my grandmother, uh, we called her Nanny. Um, her name was Louise uh, Kennedy Evans Elder. And, you know, she was extremely important to not just my life, but to all of her grandchildren's lives. Mm -hmm. um, initially, there were, there were four of us, primarily. Uh, me, my little brother, Garrett, two older cousins were all in my soul. Um, she uh, got custody of them when they were like five and six or six and seven and moved into Plainfield. And then uh, both of my parents worked like mm -hmm. a lot. So me and my younger brother were always with her and them mm -hmm. two. And so she just basically raised the four of us together. We did mm -hmm. every single thing together like we were brothers. And um, which the next book will talk more about, um, mm -hmm. like how she instilled us with like all of these wisdoms and like all of these ways and, and like really like pushed heavy on education. And um, one of the things she always used to say was uh, the things that she didn't get right with her kids, she wanted to get right with her grandkids. Mm. And so I think she went like above and beyond to to facilitate friendships with us. Mm. Um, you know, like sometimes, sometimes like your parent is your parent, but sometimes your parent is also your friend. Yes. And I think she did a great job of not just being our grandmother, but being our friend mm -hmm. and being a person like we could talk to and hang with. And mm -hmm. like when I was struggling to make friend circles, she was my friend. Mm -hmm. and I would hang with her. And I think she knew that. And mm -hmm. um, so I would hang with her. And she always knew I was uh, queer. Like there, right. there was not a doubt. And she used right. to talk to my mom and them about it, like outside of me when I was very, very little, when she noticed right. it. Um, she, she always said it was around the age of two that, mm -hmm. that they could notice it. Um, mm -hmm. But she just was very, very um, strong in that way. And, and, you know, making sure that us as, as her grandkids were well taken care of and like well-rounded individuals mm -hmm. um, to not fall into the same mistakes mm -hmm. um, that maybe she had made herself or her brothers mm -hmm. had made and sisters had made or ki uh, children and nieces and nephews had made. Yes. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be able to take care of her um, up until she passed away uh, in December. Mm -hmm. um, I moved back in with my parents and uh, those last six months of her life, me and my mom took care of her every day. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was, it was tough because I, was, I literally watched her, you know, right. pass away daily. Yeah. Um, but I think it was beautiful at the same time because it's like, you know, to be able to uh, honor somebody who yeah. took care of you and who yes. did so much for so many by taking care of them in their final stages. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's just something, I don't know, something spiritual, something that like you can't, uh, it's just something I would never regret and would do it all over again if I had to. Yes. Um, the tattoo I got is on my fingers. Yes. You can see it. It's. Um, <laughs> 78 markings. Uh, she passed away at 78 years old. Wow. And then, um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to show it like this, but yes. Yes. It's, it's beautiful. Take a picture. Hold on, hold it. We're going to take a picture of that. Wow. Gorgeous. And beautiful. so when you look at it like that, it's a band on each plus. It's uh, seven bands because she has uh, for all of the grandkids. Mm -hmm. And then the bands in the middle are me because I'm I always feel like I'm I'm masculine and feminine energy. Mm -hmm. And so my band is split. So you can see it's like half full, half not full. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So that was my tribute uh to her and to the grandkids and uh everybody. So yeah. Beautiful. So we are already at twenty one minutes. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> we're we're, we're good. <laughs> 
Um, he's made me look at him like this in the last like four or five chats. <laughs> and be like, um, so are you good to go for a little bit longer? Yeah. Okay, because I got I want to ask this question. You just in showing uh your your ta your your ink tribute mentioned uh you falling in the middle and then being in between masculine and feminine energy. Right. You recently announced uh new pronouns. Can you talk to folks a little bit about that, please? Yeah. Um please. Again, in the next book, I talk about one of the final conversations I had with my grandmother. Mm. And um Suffice to say, one of the final things she said to me was that um, she knew I wasn't gay. And mm -hmm. that she knew that, um, she said I was never really a boy, but I was never really a girl, but that I sat somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's exactly how she worded it. She said, I don't know if y'all have a term for that, but <laughs> if you do have that a term, like that like then that's what you are. And so What'd I call that the term for that was, and you know, I was like, well, I think it's this. And I was like, I've always felt like that, but I've never known if y'all would be comfortable with me feeling like that. She was like, well, no, like, that's what you are. She was like, I'm telling you, like, you were never really a boy. You were never really a girl. Mm. Kind of sat like in the middle there somewhere mm. of that. Mm. Um, mm. And so that's what kind of got me. I mean, that's really was like the final thing I needed. Um, to make me feel comfortable enough to identify as non-binary and to identify with they, them pronouns. Hmm. Um, for me, non-binary is two things. It's um, an identity as well as my politic. Hmm. And so as an identity, it, it literally is just to say that I do not believe that I have a, a gender. Like, I, I don't believe that gender is binary. And right. so I don't believe that I am like man or that I am woman. At all, like, and I just don't like there. And I think enough people, if they know who I am, it's like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can, it comes through. Um, as yeah. a politic, non-binary to me means like just the deconstruction of any system that um, puts up any type of construct around gender, sexuality, mm. health, right, like across the board, right. And so mm -hmm. it's like I just don't think we operate we have to operate in like two systems. And mm -hmm. even when you look at like, you can look at politics, right? Like, it's like, oh, you Democrat or Republican. Republican, like, right. Or no, right. that's no. actually not it. The right? only like, option, there right. There are other options, right. right? And for some reason, you know, we exist in this um, society where we think things have to literally look like this, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, well, you can buy men's clothes or you can buy women's clothes. But then some clothes are unisex, and it's like, well, no, all clothes are unisex. Yes, you can't, you don't get to tell me what I want to wear. Like, if right. I am male presenting, quote unquote, and I want to wear a dress, I can. Thanks. Like Thanks. you don't, and you can't say that 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 garment is a, a right. garment. Right. It's a garment. And so I, I think it's you know even with the name of the book, all boys aren't blue. Is breaking that down, right? Like boys are blue, right. girls are pink. No, like that's just not how that right. works. And so non-binary, the politic is literally breaking down all of those systems in my opinion mm -hmm. um, that try to constrict the, the who and what of what we are right like right. it goes into pay equity right just yes. because you're a woman you literally make less just mm -hmm. because you're a woman like no other reason but simply because you're and like to me that's why i think it's so important that we start to operate from a non-binary politic in mm -hmm. more ways than just 
um, how some of us identify. Right. I mean, it's so important. I mean, even when you talk about education, I mean, the ways in which our public education system is so skewed towards that very binary construct and thinking about how it educates, right? Because you think about health education, it becomes very important and, uh, you know, necessary for that non-binary conversation for the people who are in that class getting that education who are not a part of that binary structure. So, right. come on now. God damn it. <laughs> Whenever well, y'all are ready. I mean, no, 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 please, please. No, so, we <laughs> have to ask because, you know, the Savage Collection is kind of how this whole thing got started. It's all okay. a celebration of our culture, right? We, we created the Savage Collection to celebrate cultural icons and it is continuously growing because we know that, you know, we've There's got so more to, to celebrate. celebrate. There's so There's many so more to, to celebrate. celebrate. So, so first, yeah. before you ask him, okay, who, man. Okay, before man. you ask him who, because I know yeah, I, I can hear you. I know where you're going. Talk to us about why the one that you're wearing mm -hmm. spoke to you. Oh yeah. Oh, so and I have one. Show everybody where you're okay. wearing. I have one, the living single one. Shout yeah. out to Eric, to cousin Erica Alexander. <laughs> so everybody can see. Yes. Yeah. Um. Living Single is interesting. I watch Living Single every day. Um, like, every day. It comes on TV One in a marathon, uh, eight episodes between 9 o'clock and 1 o'clock. And I watch it every morning when I'm writing. And then it comes on, I believe, MTV Two on Friday night, going all the way into Saturday. I think the only day it doesn't have a marathon on is Sundays, but hopefully mm. work to fix that. With TV. Everybody, but, go watch. Go watch. Go watch. <laughs> yes. Um, indication. But yeah, I love living single. Um, I mean, for many reasons. I think that they had like a lot of great topics on the show. I think they definitely addressed uh, homosexuality many times. They definitely, mm -hmm. and even the characters had like a little like kind of like queer movements and, and sayings and things. Like there were definitely times Overton was definitely more like sassy and like yeah. you know like. Kyle yeah. was a whole thesbian. Like yeah. I just think that the way Max with the masculine energy for a woman and for like sure. there were just so many different like ways. And I just think that they like they're I think like as black characters on TV, like they were mm. total characters in many ways. Um, mm. mirror characters at, at times, like, you know, Max and Regine, mm. as much mm. as they may have been in contention, they were like the same person in many ways. Mm. And so I kind of like like that. And then, of course, like, just the whole um, Khadijah as a writer, starting her magazine, like, that's just very tied closely into mm. what, what I'm doing with mm -hmm. writing my own books and kind of, like, putting the stories out there that I felt need to be seen out there mm -hmm. um, in the world and uh, trying to change, you know, just the landscape of writing and everything. And so, yeah, like, I just have always connected to that show um, in particular. And, uh, yeah, I just love it. Well, it so, is, I mean, an icon. It's an icon show so. of our culture. But the question I was getting at before Blair jumped in was, you know, we're, as we're continuing to add to the Savage Collection. You know, who are some of the other savages from our culture that we really need to celebrate and kind of give their flowers? Um, I would say Eartha Kitt. I don't know if y'all already have her. We've gotten that, okay. we've gotten that, right, we've gotten that suggestion. Definitely be Eartha Kitt. Mm -hmm. um, it would also have to be Donna Summer. Oh, um, with the second, yeah, like with this, I always choose like a certain music to listen to when I'm working on books. Mm -hmm. Um, and so with this book, with the first book, it was um, 
it was Mary J. Blige's The Mary album. Mm. Um, and Anita Baker's uh, greatest, no, was it Rapture? It might have been Anita Baker. Yeah, it was Rapture. Ooh, Rapture. this jam on your playlist. For, oh, yeah, for this book. Um, hold up, hold up. Musical interlude. <laughs> you put this jam on the list. <laughs> right. Said, oh, and then, uh, for this book, I made the decision. I was like, okay, I need to um, figure out who I want to have as my soundtrack mm -hmm. and uh literally just started googling like some of my favorite artists and like just kind of going down a rabbit hole um and i went down a rabbit hole of donna summer and it was just like mm -hmm. her music was just like really really connected with me um that night when i listened mm -hmm. to like all of her music and i was mm -hmm. like yeah that's what it's gonna be um so i'm writing the next book with her music playing yes it's um, interesting that you say that you know how they have the, the uh, online thing where they say like the number one song when you were born, oh, so yeah. the number one song when I was born was a Donna Summer song. Oh wow! I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, she realistically, yeah. I went through her history. It's 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 ridiculous how how big she was. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. she certainly Receipts. had a career. Right, receipt, receipt. Yeah. Oh man. Anybody else? Before so I got yeah. yeah I, was saying, oh, um, I just wanted to ask one of the questions that we saw that came up in the comments because um, oh. it was specific around uh, a non-binary um, health education, right? Or educating mm -hmm. uh, students around non-binary identities. And can you talk to us about why that's important from a health education perspective? Just as an expert in the you know in the field in some capacity, right? Yeah, because people have anal sex. <laughs> and we could keep trying to pretend <laughs> sorry, like sorry. That, wait, wait, wait. First of that, all, that only <laughs> wait, wait, I gotta stop you, George. I gotta stop you just for a second. <laughs> because as you mentioned, like we've known each other a long time. Yes. For folks who are just meeting George for the first time, <laughs> this is the candor. <laughs> this is the kind of candor that has connected us. Yes. For people who know me already yes. and don't know George, <laughs> this is our. These are the ties that bind. <laughs> the willingness to go straight to it. Please finish, George. Thank you. Yeah, because like again, <laughs> people have anal sex, and it's not just gay men. So it's like. To have a health education that doesn't talk about all of the places you can have sex is problematic because <laughs> women have anal sex, men have anal sex, people who don't identify as man or woman have anal sex, right? But we literally just do not teach it. Like, right. it is not taught, it is not, you know? Um, I also think that it's important because uh, certain lubrications um, are better for certain body areas and certain body parts. And so, like, it's really, really important that, like, you discuss certifications. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, again, then you have, you know, you have trans men, you have trans women. Like, we all have sex differently. And so it's just very, very important that when sex education is being taught, that is, like I said, being taught from, like, a lens that is not from, like, some hetero norm because... Mm -hmm. And it's even weird though because it's like it's taught from a heteronorm, but it's taught from like a strict heteronorm of mm. like missionary or like right. penis, penis. It's only it's gotta be this thing. Yeah, it's literally just penis and vagina, and it's like that's it. Like where it stops is there, and it's like that's just so. Um, I'm not doing this. <laughs> the comments. The comments. It's like not only archaic. Come on, Dominique. Like, it's just not realistic. <laughs> yeah, it's not realistic, and so like at some point, 
like sex education has to break the binary and yep. be taught from a place of um, what is actually going on. Inclu and an inclusion. I cannot. I don't know if you see the comments, George, but the comments have gone full blast. <laughs> uh, folks are sharing their. Oh, yes. uh, their uh, Lordy, happy Sunday, y'all. <laughs> on a Sunday. On this is the a Lord's work. Sunday. If anybody's ever wondering, this is the Lord's work. Let's be clear, George, you are doing the Lord's work. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Where can people. Follow you, find you, buy the book. Go, wait, wait, wait. Hold up. I'm going to tell people. Listen, I pre-ordered it. Mm -hmm. Amazon has it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Go buy the book. All boys aren't blue. Please, please go buy this. Go buy Don't Go buy it for yourself. Go buy it for somebody you know. Everybody knows somebody that needs to read Everybody this. Everybody knows somebody who needs this, for sure. Go buy this for your little gay cousin, your Be little bold, queer nephew. Brave. And queer. And queer. So tell people where to find you, where you want people to follow you, all of those things. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at I am GM Johnson. Uh, my website is imgmjohnson.com. I'm still on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think my name on Facebook is George Matthew Johnson um, because I go by both names. So, um, which again, I think that's why it's I am GM Johnson. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Those are the three apps. I don't use Snapchat and all that other stuff. I'm, I'm not that I'm not that fancy, so. I just thought about something when you mentioned your Twitter handle. It came up in my uh, Facebook memories. Mm. You had a tweet go viral, I think it was yes. a year ago recently. Was it a year ago? It was, uh, no, 26. It was four years ago. It was at the Olympics. Four years? It's been four years since that tweet? No, so, the Olympics. So tell people, can we just briefly, before we go, because yeah. I just thought about it, um, tell people about that tweet, because I remember you and I talked that morning, that, yeah. that the morning, I, I think you tweeted it at night. I tweeted it because she had just won the gold medal. She just won the gold medal at night. And I was, tweeted it was, at was, night and then and went to bed. And went to bed. And, and the next up. morning. When we all woke up. When we all woke like, up. Yeah. So please talk about, uh, so give folks the context. Yeah. In 2016, Simone Manuel became the first um, black woman to win a gold medal in swimming. Yeah. Um, and so she won the gold medal, and it was crazy because, like, all you know, we was all happy. Like, I mean, we right. should have been right. Like, it was a, a really good moment, a good feeling moment. But it reminded me of that scene in uh, Becoming Dorothy Dandridge, where she stuck her toe in the pool, and they mm. at the Holiday Inn or the Hilton, um, and they drained the entire pool, and they made the black workers drain the pool and like refill it because she had literally stuck her toe in it while the white people were swimming in it. And I made a tweet that said. Um, I don't know if I'm gonna remember it verbatim right now, but it was like um, it was like Dorothy Dandridge um, stuck her toe in a pool um, and had all of the water, like, and they drained all of the water out of it. Mm -hmm. That is why Simone Manuel is important, right? Um, and I tweeted it that night because it was like it was really late when she won. It was like I yeah. felt like it was like ten or eleven at night, um, and I went to bed. And by the next morning, the tweet had been memified, mm -hmm. had been mm -hmm. written about. It had there were articles, like I mean, but and and, and there were a bunch mm -hmm. of white people questioning 
the truth behind if they really drain swimming pools when black people are it. So then I had to write about it. And then mm -hmm. a bunch of people, myself, started to have to explain the racism in swimming. Um, and so and I why black kids today still don't. And why a lot of black folks can't swim? Can't swim. Like, I found the tweet. Yeah. It says, never forget, never period. Forget. <laughs> they drained an entire swimming pool because Dorothy Dandridge stuck her toe in it. That is why Simone Manuel is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And so then we, it, basically what it did was it started a nationwide conversation around racism and swimming. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people learned that, you know, they cemented in all of the public pools right after uh, integration, mm -hmm. yep. which uh, prevented black kids from knowing how to swim. And that was also the rise of country clubs, which um, allowed white kids to still be able to swim uh, yep. segregated because clearly black folks couldn't afford to go. Or it wasn't even allowed. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, that, that, that's what, and kind of, I mean, I guess that was kind of launched who I was. Um, I guess as an actor. <laughs> I mean, I got verified know. on Twitter, and I, you know, I have been Come writing. Come on, Blue Jack. Let's be clear. Damn it! <laughs> I go to this thing, and it don't never work. Right. You know, I had been writing for Ebony Magazine at the time, um, mm -hmm. the now defunct Ebony Magazine. <laughs> nope. Um, nope. I knew that was coming. Yeah. I mean, I. I mean, and I also sued Ebony Dude. Magazine. So <laughs> we child. Oh. Pay your people, <laughs> Ebony. Ebony that was all a part of that too. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So that was my start. No, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, look, I George, we are. I mean, you know how I feel about yeah. this journey, mm -hmm. right? That you've been on, right? Like, oh, one of like the favorites. we um we've been having this conversation about your success being imminent since uh, we met. I remember yeah. you complaining about Georgetown, child. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, thank you for the courage, the vision mm -hmm. to put to to take your life story and and give it to the world as a testimony. Mm -hmm. thank, you, thank, thank you. Thank you. Like we are we are grateful. Like we're grateful personally for the the for to 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 be in such close orbit of this greatness, but as someone who who knows how valuable, how life's changing and life saving mm -hmm. a testimony like this is, and all of your testimonies, um, thank you for the lives that you're gonna save. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. you. Oh, see, I see? Okay. <laughs> it got him. It got him. It got him. So we love you tremendously. Love you too. Thank y'all so and much. You. We can't wait for the world to open back up. So we can hug necks again. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, no, George, George has slept in the bed with us. Not like that. But we, all, we shared a bed. Yes. So, no, we, are, we are family. We, we are wait to see the success. And the, the wait, TV, wait, wait. This is going to be a the TV, TV show. show. It right. is. No. <laughs> like, Union. Yeah. Everyone. Tell the oh, yeah. So the book was optioned by Gabrielle Union's production company. Um, I have another. And so we are currently um, working on developing it into a 30-minute, uh, I believe, 30-minute TV series. Um, yeah, 30-minute television show about the book and my life. Uh, wow. Well, when the part of your life is being told where you wear Blairisms, we will just <laughs> let us have a chat with the Blairisms. Just let us we know. Are okay. <laughs> we will appear in person as ourselves, I promise. <laughs>
We love you so, we love you so much. We love you guys. Much. We will uh, talk soon. Be well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be safe. Congratulations. 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 All right, y'all. Hold on. Yeah. Damn. Song is this. I'll be good. <laughs> right? It's so appropriate. You know what I'm saying? Congratulations on everything, George. Right, go George. follow George. Everybody, go follow George Johnson. Please go get his book on Amazon. It's on Audible. Just get it. All boys aren't blue. Pass it on, everybody. Just have, have a, a great week. Sunday. Have a yes. great week. Go be great. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> This time with Dr. Jessica Harris. Ow. Ow. We love you, George. Love, love y'all too. Bye. Right, smile. What's up? What's wow. up? Awesome. All right. Y'all have a great week.